It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Merry Christmas. Welcome to a special edition of What Does This Mean? Today, we're going to talk about one really great story that Luke tells about the birth of Jesus. Of course, we'll meet angels, shepherds, Mary and Joseph, a baby wrapped up in what I still like to call swaddling cloths. And we'll even meet some of the greats of the empire, Augustus, and the extremely tantalizing Quirinius, governor of Syria. So get a cup of cocoa, a Christmas cookie, and settle in. We are going to Bethlehem today. Welcome to our very first Christmas special. I'm sure this is going to become... Do we have jingle bells? We could be you know, like we, jingling in the background I know, or something. Maybe you could hum quietly okay. some carols in the <laughs> I'm background. I'm good at that. I'm uh, good at that. <laughs> I think this is going to be... <laughs> just like that. I think this is going to become part of everybody's regular Christmas tradition along with watching Charlie Brown's Charlie Brown. Christmas special. It's a wonderful life. And... Christmas vacation. So maybe you are driving to a holiday party or baking some cookies or just sitting quietly by the tree. But whatever you're doing, we're really glad that you're listening, and we're glad that you've included us in your celebration. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer, And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We are the pastors at Gloria Day Lutheran Church, and every week we take a little bit of time to talk about the readings for the upcoming Sunday. Usually we read all three of the readings, but we're going to do something a little different for this podcast. We're going to take the gospel reading, which is the second chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 20, and we're going to split it into three parts to really dive into the Christmas story. Between you and me, this is actually all just for me, because I have to preach on this text on Christmas Eve. Four times, I think. Yes, four times. and One sermon. It, one times. sermon, four times, and I know that the two of you love it even more by the fourth time. I could usually preach your sermon from memory after the fourth time <laughs> hearing Probably, it, I yeah. think. Well, and one of the challenges is every year we get the same story. So it is always a bit of a challenge to say, what's what's the new word in the text this year? What's going on in the world that shapes the way we hear the story this time? And um, and actually, it's kind of amazing the way this one story told every year does speak to the current context in different ways almost all the time. So uh, we hope that you will be able to enter into all of that this year, too. 
we have been inviting very special guests to join us for our podcast and our Christmas guest is our Christmas angel. Our Christmas oh, an angel. angel, yes. <laughs> our our wise guy is uh, <laughs> Stephen Peterson. Stephen, we're so glad that you're here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm not sure if wise guy is <laughs> maybe why. Anyway, um, well, I I'm a member of Gloria Day. Been here for 21 years, I think. Here, grew up in a small town in southern Wisconsin near Madison in a little Norwegian enclave, Lutheran church. We were the Swedes in town, so but they treated us nicely. <laughs> and then, um, as my father said, he sent us off, sent me off to uh, Minnesota to go to school and never came back, as he would frustratingly say. And uh, so I've been up in St. Paul, living in St. Paul, taught in the school district for about 40, 41, 42 years. Yeah, you're retired. What did you do as a teacher? Um, I Most of my career, I worked with junior high students who had learning disabilities. Then after I retired from day to day, I worked primarily with a, at a, a homeless drop-in center as the educational specialist to help kids get GEDs or back into school or into college, which was a delightful experience. I enjoyed that. From the vantage point of being retired, when you look back over that time, what would you say was the most meaningful part of your work? I, I loved working with the kids. The junior high kids are just delightful. Mm. And um, they have short memories, so every day is kind of new <laughs> and shorter than mine because some days a young a young lad would come in who had had a bad day the day before, and I'm going, oh, you could have stayed home in there. Hi, Mr. Peterson. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, but that, but also working with parents because um, the kids um, had – learning disabilities, and the parents found that frustrating sometimes if they didn't really understand what their child was going through. And I think working with parents was very rewarding to mm. help them deal with education and their child and that. So combination of the both. And my colleagues, I loved. I worked on a team, which was like you guys do, and that was very nice. I enjoyed that a lot. What a great career. Tell us a little bit about what you do around Gloria Day. Right now, I'm involved in the Racial Justice Committee, which is a relatively new committee at the church. And I work with a weekend backpack program where we deliver um, snack-type lunches for the weekend for some students at Highland uh, Elementary School. I'm ushering still on first service odd months. And uh, in the past, I've been on council a couple of times and faith formation. With I was on the call committee for Pastor we Lois. We were talking about that today, yeah. <laughs> and we're very proud of our result there. <laughs> <laughs> or you're stuck with me one way or the other. Yeah. And um, actually, one of the, the really fun events at Glory Day is our daughter was married at Glory Day uh, two summers ago. And Lois presided at that ceremony. Sweet. We had a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for being here. Let's jump into the Christmas story. And so let's we'll take a look at the very first part of it. I'll read at the beginning, Luke 2, and I'll just read the first seven verses. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. 
Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Stephen, what questions do you have? Well, one of the first ones that, as I was reading this over and over again, having heard it and read it many times, was this lineage of Joseph from the house of David and how that fits with the lineage of Mary and then Jesus. And I remember things in the past of, of hearing that. And I know in Matthew, I believe it's laid out very lengthy. Yeah. And But always ends up with Joseph. And um, so that's somewhat confusing. Especially in Luke's gospel when they really make a point of Mary. Mary, right. But Joseph is the you know descendant of David. Right. And Mary's nothing. We don't know uh, her lineage. Now you could say, well, he probably also married someone from the house of David, but eh, we don't know that. It's not clear. And it's very interesting in in the Jewish worldview, in this worldview of the first century, remember, they really didn't know about reproduction in the same way that we think of it. So they didn't think in terms of sperm and eggs and things Mm -hmm. coming from both sides of the family. It really was understood that the man planted a seed in the woman and the woman was just a a vehicle, you know, just a hollow ground to hold this baby. And I remember telling this to a group of people a long time ago and they, they said, didn't anybody kind of recognize that sometimes the baby looked a whole lot like the mom? <laughs> it's like, you know, was there anything there? And, and I, I think there was a sense that certainly a woman's body shaped the child, but it was a child of the father. You know, there was really a clear sense. Right. And, and yet in, in Luke's gospel, there's such an emphasis on it being the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary. And so it's like, wait a second, you know, what is Joseph's role and why would it be important for Jesus to be claimed as a child of David if, you know, Joseph's role was really more of an adoptive parent or what is that? So I think it is really fascinating how it's mentioned here. One thing that I noticed was that you've got two royal lines listed right away. You've got Emperor Augustus, who certainly considered that his line would serve on the throne forever Mm -hmm. and was considered to be divine um, by the kind of Roman imperial cult. But here you now have, right a sentence later, an alternative royal line, which will prove to become the more true witness to the divine. So it's interesting that Luke, right from the first two verses, is almost kind of political here. He's he's critiquing the emperor. We've said this in recent podcasts, I think, but David was sort of the preeminent king in Israel's history, right. that David was sort of the... when. When Israel thought of who their perfect king was, they always looked back to David. And so the point here is that they're establishing a lineage between this perfect king in Israel's ancient history and connecting Jesus to David. Um, And that's the kind of alternative 
royal line that you're talking about here, Pastor Bradley. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think is sometimes lost on us is the geography. There's, you know, there's all these references to places in here. One is um, that Joseph is from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, and Galilee was sort of this backwater kind of a. Someone in our in our forum recently said it was sort of like flyover country, mm-hmm. like the way the coasts think mm-hmm. of um, the like central part of the United States. Um, like nothing really important comes from there. Um, it's just sort of a place you fly over to get to where you're really trying to go. Um, and I think it's important that um, Jesus is also connected to that place, to a place where kind of the forgotten people came from. And they have to, they travel to Bethlehem, um, and which is partly, I think, to fulfill a prophecy um, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Which is, of course, where David where is David from. Where David came right. from. Right. Exactly. It's, it's the that's city of David, hometown, right? So it kind of puts all of that together to get Jesus' birth to Bethlehem. Right. All the place names and the people, Quirinius and the governor and you know the registration itself, the, the idea of having a registration is just really interesting. Um, it was for a tax, really, um, you know, to make sure that all those poor people from, you know, ho-dunk places like Nazareth or, you know, flyover country, we got to count them. And if we know how many they are, we know how much money we, we know, can yeah. gather up. Yeah. And that they had to go to that county seat, if you yep. will, as opposed to having people go out to their homes like we do now. To, well, and it together. also, to me, demonstrates how the empire works is like in this far in far off Rome, the emperor just says, yeah, everybody go to their hometown. But what it sets into motion is difficult life for so many people at the edges of the empire. And here you have this pregnant woman and and Joseph having to make this journey at a time when it's not good to travel, but they have no choice, choice. but to obey the whim of the emperor, which is all about raising tax revenue. Mm-hmm. One thing that I... Uh, noticed today when I was looking at this story is about the no room at the inn um, and that inn might not be the best translation for is that Is it a word. comfort inn or a holiday inn? <laughs> Quality inn. <laughs> Quality inn. <laughs> it's the same word that's used one other time in Luke, which is the upper room. And so this is like an upper room, a guest room, a place where something happens. And so it connects this story to the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper, but also says, um, says, well, there's no room in the guest room. So it implies perhaps that, they're, that they have come to be with their family here and so that their place with the, with the animals and with the manger isn't this kind of act of being rejected by the innkeeper, which is always the great role in any kind of play, you know, to be the innkeeper and say no and slam the door. But actually it may have just been, well, there wasn't any room in the guest room. So the next natural place to, if you're going to house a guest is to do that, you know, with the, with the animals. And One of my very favorite choral Christmas pieces is O Magnum Mysterium, mm-hmm. the setting by Morton Lordson. But the text, it, it's Latin, but the English translation is, O great mystery and wonderful sacrament that 
animals should see their newborn lord lying in a manger. And I just love that earthiness of like, that's what we're really talking about is like a God who isn't just, it's, it's amazing enough that God is born among people, but then God chooses like the lowliest people, like the people who hang out with animals because they don't have a place to be otherwise. Um, I just, I love that image and that text. Let's take a break and then we'll be back with the next part of the story. Welcome back. Let's move on to the second part of this passage. This will be Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. This is my favorite section of this. I don't know if it's because I grew up in a working class family, but the idea that this big announcement was made to working class Joes out out in the field, not in the newspaper or in some more delightful royal way, that it's these guys just out in the fields doing their daily thing and this announcement is made to them. That I think it makes the whole message more meaningful that it's it's for the people of God and, and not a, a, a special occasion for a, a smaller elite, if you will. But also they had to have been just terrified. Yeah. <laughs> to, that, the, word, the word terrified. Oh, it just, yeah. yeah well, to, I, I think those things go together. I think that probably the culture suggested to them that their role really wasn't that important Mm -hmm. um, and that by the work that they did, they weren't able to uh, participate in all of the religious rituals. These would be like the people who had to work the night shift so could never go to church and so carry this lingering guilt and shame or even – had been told, had been shamed for not showing up for the religious rituals. And um, so they would have been terrified because if God's going to show up, certainly God must be about to judge them mm-hmm. um, for their for their behavior. And uh, it turns out to be absolutely the opposite kind of announcement. I've sometimes thought about these shepherds as the people who were just sort of used to being overlooked and not in the spotlight, and that actually being in the spotlight was a terrifying, scary thing. Um, They're not the kind of people who were used to having attention directed at them. Um, And so suddenly now to be 
at the center of like the biggest thing that's ever happened um, must have been terrifying. Wow. You know, I haven't thought about it that way before, too, because it's like if something like this happens, you suddenly have a responsibility that you didn't have before. You know, you know something that nobody else no, so you're faced with this kind of dilemma. All right, do I just go back to my regular out of the way, don't bother anybody life, or do I really take this and run with it? I like playing with the idea that it was shepherds and the that you know in the first paragraph we talked about uh, David's line and David was a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. And is there something here about saying God has always been among the people that didn't look impressive enough. You know, when they asked uh, David's father, do you have any, Jesse, do you have any other children? It's like, well, there's a little one out, you know, with the sheep, but I don't think you want him. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe I do. It's, you know, is God still saying, no, maybe it's the little forgotten ones, the flyover people or the, you know, the folks that live in the shadows at night and do their work at night because then they can kind of keep out of the limelight that God's saying, no, you're the ones I'm going to need. I'm, I'm going to change the world through you. Watch. And then also later on as Jesus becomes one of the images is the the taking care of the, the flock, the, the, sheep. the, yeah. the shepherd right. of his people. I always like to note in this part of the, of the story is that this announcement that the angels make is – almost the same as the announcement that was made on Caesar's birthday, that they would, the big royal announcement was, to you is born this day in the city of Rome, a savior who is Octavian Augustus, the Lord. Um, So there's a really direct critique in this story of Roman imperial power. Is Luke political? I mean, is he viewed as being a political writer? I think pretty much all the gospel writers are, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in ways that we we don't necessarily catch, partly because of that. We don't know that was actually a political slogan that was being co-opted and used in this new, you know, mm-hmm. very counter, counter um, way. But the fact that he's mentioning all these places and people, um, you know, specific times and places and cities, there seems to be some kind of political impressions of when you think of you know, the governor of Syria, you get this idea in your head of, oh, I know what that governor was about. We don't. We we read that and think the only time I hear about him is in the Christmas story. So I don't pay really any attention to that. But yeah, I think so. Let's take a little break there and we'll be back with the third part of the story. Welcome back. And the last part of the Christmas story is verses 15 through 20. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. 
So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Back to what you had said earlier in the the previous reading, this expectation of what do we do with this information and that their choice was to... I always wondered if they left their flocks out there yeah. by themselves or or whatever, but they chose to 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 follow this star and 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 find this this location and to assume that responsibility that this is special and we need to uh, respond to it. And then again, a message for us to to respond to what we hear and share it. You make me think that a great story to write would be the story of the shepherd who had to stay back and watch the flocks. So all he ever gets is the secondhand report of the story. It's and, like the astronaut that had to stay on the on the up in orbit and wasn't able to really get to oh, the moon. It's like so close and right. I was there too, but no one ever thinks of me. Yeah. But that's the kind of the what what we are is um, we have some sense of the announcement, but we only have a secondhand telling uh-huh. of the story. And so we have to trust the tellers of the story. We have to take their word for it. Mm-hmm. So the shepherds are the first evangelists. They they come, I kind of like the idea of thinking they're telling Mary and Joseph. You know, it's like, hey, you know what I just heard about this baby here? You know, what if Mary and Joseph were thinking, well, maybe he's just a baby, you know, we could maybe ignore some of those angel things that we were thinking about. And the shepherds came and said, wow, we just saw the most amazing thing. And it has to do with your baby. We don't think real highly of people who have visions today that are really fantastical. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. right. we yeah. sort of think like, hmm, maybe they need some help. Right. Or divine <laughs> that they say, God gave me this message. You know, I heard something in the, oh. in the Northern lights or whatever the sky lit up and mm-hmm. we think, oh, did it? Hmm. Well, and I think I wonder how the end of this story circles back and ties into the baby in the manger and that guest room where communion is instituted is that we get this same kind of announcement to come and see the child. We get the experience of this child through the bread and wine of communion. But in the end, you kind of got to Trust yourself that there's big angel choirs behind it. Trusting that in this food, we get to experience God. Well, that's probably where we have to stop today. There is so much to talk about in this. We could probably have three Christmas specials just on this one telling of the story. But we're so glad that you joined us. And truly, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and may all the peace and the joy and the light that is in this story be in you and with you in these days. We would love to hear what you have to say about the Christmas story, so drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. Thank you, Stephen, for being with us today. It really was a delight to have you fun. here. It was fun. I'd like to talk. Thank you to Paul D'Amico Carper for providing the music for us. 
And thank you to Marshall Saunders, our wonderful and faithful producer from Minnesota Podcasting, for helping us to create this podcast. Join us for worship at Gloria Day on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.45. And if you do happen to hear this podcast before Christmas Eve, there are worship services at 2, 4, 8, and 10.30. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you. God's love is being born in you right now and will provide everything that you need to see angels in heaven. God bless you. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com. 